Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Tonight on The Readout. Did you propose this standalone Israel aid package to kill this compromise deal in the Senate? No, we've made very clear what the requirements of the House were, and that is to solve the problem at the border. Is Donald Trump calling the shots here, Mr. Speaker? Of course not. He's not calling the shots. I am calling the shots for the House. That's our responsibility. Of course not. But Trump did tell them to do nothing about the border this year because Republicans can't afford to give it up as an election issue. Also tonight, how Trump manages to delay, delay, delay his criminal trials, something no regular citizen would be able to do. Plus, as Trump openly roots for a crash, Joe Biden presides over what even Trump advisors admit is a whopper of an economy. But we begin tonight with an emergency, a crisis, a catastrophe. At least that's what Republican lawmakers have spent the last few months calling the situation at the southern border. One thing is absolutely clear. America is at a breaking point with record levels of illegal immigration. It is an unmitigated disaster, a catastrophe. And what's more tragic is that it's a disaster of the president's own design. The border crisis, which is the top issue across the country. The numbers do not lie. Our country is being invaded right now, right in front of our very eyes because of Joe Biden's catastrophic border policies. We cannot allow this border crisis to continue. We cannot allow fentanyl to flood across our border, our criminals to waltz in undeterred. This is very clearly an invasion. It is a purposeful one and it's inflicting dangerous consequences on our country and the people of Texas. Wow. Well, given such alarmist rhetoric, You'd think that these lawmakers would want to act immediately to get this catastrophe under control, right? Well, as of yesterday, they actually had the chance to do that. After months of talk, Senate negotiators finally released a sweeping bipartisan border security deal. The proposed bill would raise the standard to grant asylum, send away those who don't qualify, and expedite cases for those who do. It would also give the president new authority to effectively shut down the border to migrants when attempted crossings are high and end the practice of catch and release, while also providing billions of dollars in funding for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan, as well as humanitarian assistance for civilians in Gaza. But just hours after the bill was released, leading Republicans in the House said, nope, we don't want it. Almost immediately, House Speaker Mike Johnson, along with Steve Scalise and Elise Stefanik, took to social media to throw cold water on any hopes of even debating the bill. And earlier today, they released a statement putting the final nail in the coffin, writing that any consideration of this Senate bill in its current form is a waste of time. It's dead on arrival in the House. We encourage the Senate to reject it. Instead, the Speaker is proposing a standalone bill providing aid to Israel, completely cutting out the border and aid to Ukraine. So let's just be very clear. The same people who were going on and on and going on these trips to the border to stir up outrage and yell about an immigration crisis were handed the opportunity to help fix the issue on a silver platter. 
a bill that was negotiated by conservative Republican Senator James Lankford. And this is not some liberal wish list. It's actually the most conservative and aggressive border bill that we've seen in decades. The Democrats and President Biden were willing to bite their tongues and support, despite the fact that it offers no path to citizenship and doesn't even address the dreamers. A bill that the Border Patrol Union, which has been very critical of President Biden, even they endorse it, saying, quote, while not perfect, it is a step in the right direction and is far better than the current status quo. And MAGA Republicans say, nah, we're good. Make it make sense. Because right now, even Senator Langford is calling his party out on their foolishness. Are we as Republicans going to have press conferences and complain the border's bad and then intentionally leave it open? Are we going to just complain about things or are we going to actually address and change as many things as we can? If we have the shot, and it's amazing to me, if, if I go back two months ago and say we had the shot under a Democrat president to dramatically increase detention beds, deportation flights, lock down the border to be able to change the asylum laws, right. to be able to accelerate the process, no one would have believed it. And now no one actually wants to be able to fix it. But the Republicans' refusal to even consider this bill makes a lot more sense when you see the reaction of the guy who, let's just be real, is calling all the shots here, Donald Trump. Posting on his fake Twitter site, he declared that the ridiculous border bill is nothing more than a highly sophisticated trap for Republicans to assume the blame on what the radical left Democrats have done to our border just in time for our most important election. Don't fall for it. Lots of exclamation points. Never mind the fact that when Trump actually was the president, he never passed a single immigration bill, even when his party controlled the House and the Senate. He never even closed the border, which he keeps saying needs to be closed. But I guess facts don't matter to these people. The only thing that does matter is getting Donald Trump elected. I've said it before and I'll say it again. They don't want a solution. They want the chaos because they'd rather run on the problem than give Joe Biden a win in an election year on what voters say is one of the most important issues to them. And don't just take my word for it. Take theirs. I think we need to demand fix it, solve it. And I'll tell you, there's only one way we're going to solve it. And that is to throw Joe Biden out of office to elect Donald Trump in November. Now, why would I help Joe Biden improve his dismal 33 percent when he can fix the border security on his own? This invasion is insane. We need four more years of Donald Trump. Oh, Tim Scott. Bless his heart. Joining me now is Jason Johnson, MSNBC contributor and professor of politics and journalism at Morgan State University and Al Cardenas, former chair of the Florida Republican Party and former senior advisor to Jeb Bush, Jeb Bush's 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, Al, it is good to see you. It's been too long. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on today. I do want to start with you. The Republicans have said almost nothing else over the past you know, year, except there's a border crisis. It's urgent. There was a whole convoy that went down there where people went down to go and see the crisis with their own eyes. They're stringing razor wire across the Rio Grande. They're literally saying this is urgent, 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 urgent. Then they get a bill that literally progressive Democrats hate. This is a bill that is so right wing. It's shocking. Biden would sign it, but he will. He'll sign it. There were no Latinos in the room when it was put together. It's literally a right wing bill, a conservative bill. And they're saying, nah, we're just going to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. That's what they're voting on tomorrow. Your thoughts? I am so sick and tired of this. There's probably nothing more significant on the plate in a lot of years in America than this bill. You're talking about border security 
And more importantly, you're talking about national security. Congress's number one function. You've got a crisis in Ukraine and Russia that, if not solved properly, will lead to war all over you. You've got a crisis with Taiwan. You've got a crisis in Israel. You've got money that is necessary now to attend to these. House passed HR2. If you remember that bill passed by a Republican Congress. Hold on one second, Al. Hold on one second, Al. Your, your, your mic is a little bit funny, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you hold on. Let's see if we can fix your audio so people can really hear what you're saying, because I can kind okay. of understand it, but I think it's important that we actually hear you. So we're going to work on your audio for a minute. Let me go to Jason really quick. Let me show you what uh, Trump has said is his immigration plan, which he, I will note again, passed when he was president. He says, expand the Muslim ban, end birthright citizenship. Oh, basically get rid of the 14th Amendment, end birthright citizenship of children of undocumented immigrants. Ramp up ideological screening, reject applicants deemed a Marxist using their social media, complete the border wall, even though there's water. And I guess you can't build a wall on water. Use the Coast Guard, the Navy to form a blockade to stop drug smuggling. Extend Texas's floating razor wire barriers to catch up more babies. Designate drug cartels as unlawful enemy combatants. Maybe send them to Gitmo uh, and quickly deport migrant gang members. You and I both know, Jason, that the Senate... Democrats could literally write all of those things I just wrote into a bill and call it the Donald Trump is the most awesome person to ever hold the presidency bill of 2024. And Mike Johnson wouldn't put that on the floor because then then they'd they'd still have to say they passed the bill and Biden would get they're afraid Biden would get the credit. Joy, this is the thing. We've seen this movie before on Netflix. It was called Healthcare, right? Yes. I mean, Republicans ran to end Obamacare for years and years and eight whole years. We're going to get rid of Obamacare. Rand Paul got a plan and this Paul got a plan. All the Pauls had plans, right? <laughs> and what happens? They get a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican president, and they still couldn't figure out how to solve health care. So this is no different. None of these people are really interested in solving the problem. And look, Joy, I must, I must admit, compliments to all your producers. The CGI to remove all the puppet strings from Speaker Johnson during that segment was amazing. amazing. Because Donald Trump is basically boy just now. puppeteering I'm sorry, him he's a real boy and the now. entire Republican <laughs> He's a real boy now. His wish was granted. That's amazing. It's amazing. So, you know, even if his nose isn't going to grow, we all know the man's lying when he says they actually want to solve the problem. They don't care about Ukraine. They don't really care about what's happening in Israel. And they don't care about what's happening at the border. I think what's important, though, is that Joe Biden and Democrats need to make sure they're screaming about this point. And I'll say this quick, Joy. I don't think most Americans think any party is going to solve the border, but you have to look like you want to do something. (laughs) So that's what Joe Biden really needs to do, because Republicans aren't interested. Well, and the thing is, and and hopefully Al Cardenas will will come back to us very soon and we can get his mic to work again. But the thing about it is Democrats approach to the border is always based on compassion. Right. How do we get the dreamers to have the opportunity to remain? You know, how do we provide enough workers to keep our agriculture industry going, the cheap labor that they like to have in the agriculture industry? We can have a whole nother segment about that. It is all based on sort of what do we do with the humans? Republicans approach has always just been border security. Just stop all those people from coming here. The end. When Joe Biden says, "Okay, man, let's just stop all the people from coming in. I, too, personally do not understand why their voters don't say, wait a minute, you don't want to stop the people from coming in because that literally catches them out. Them saying that was always BS. 
Joy, we've seen this with 90% of major Republican cultural issues for going on 30 years now. For every single right-wing Republican that was happy about the overturn of Roe, there were hundreds of Republicans in state senates throughout the country who were like, what are we going to do if we can't run against abortion anymore? That's the problem. They, they don't want these problems solved. You know, what, what the Joker say? It's like I'm a, a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do if I caught one. Well, now they caught it, right? Now they've got the whole country worried about the border. And quite frankly, there is, there are things that need to be done at the border. I don't think this bill is a particularly good bill. I think it's too far right. I think the idea of shutting down the border when too many people need to come across is like saying, we're going to stop free lunches if too many kids are hungry. No, that's not how you solve the problem. But at the end of the day, it's a demonstration of the fact that we only have one semi-functional party in this country, which is the Democrats, and the other is basically a cult that's not interested in governing because they haven't come up with governing policy and going on 10 to 15 years now. Let me let Al Cardenas back in. Please finish your thought that you started earlier. Yes. Look, this bill would pass the House, Joy, in spite of the Speaker, if the rules allowed the bill to be voted on. It would pass the House by 20 or 30 votes. It's just the Speaker and the leadership surrounding him that's keeping the American people from having Congress vote on it. Uh, I, as an immigration advocate, I don't like the bill, just like, you know, just like uh, Mr. Johnson doesn't. But I swallowed the bitter pill, as I'm sure the president did, because there's too much at stake. Yeah. There are too many national security issues at stake. We need to address them immediately. And uh, what Mike Johnson is doing is unconscionable. And uh, finally today, Mitch McConnell woke up and was very strong about the gauntlet having been laid and having us to move in on this for critical national security reasons. Look, the House passed when it was their turn under Republican leadership, H.R. 2. That H.R. 2 immigration bill contains most of what this immigration bill contains. It is a scandal that having passed H.R. 2, they won't even take this bill up. It's a, it's a scandal. Uh, and frankly, our national security status globally is being hurt enormously as a result. Can I, can uh, I even ask is, you to this explain? This is a bad time. Can you explain to me, um, as somebody who ran a Republican party, was in charge of it, why aren't there more consequences among Republican voters? You know, it, it seemed that Republicans, even in, in, in your home state, my former home state of Florida, were willing to reward Ron DeSantis for theatrics of putting Venezuelans from a whole nother state, Texas, on planes and shipping them out to New York and Chicago and Martha's Vineyard. But when there's actual, you know, legislation on the table and these guys openly say we're not passing that because we're going to wait for Donald Trump to come in and get rid of the 14th Amendment, which is never going to happen. Why don't Republican voters penalize them for it? Bingo. And I'll tell you what, if this continues, uh, Donald Trump is very cocky about the election. But when 35 percent or more of the Republican voters in these primaries are saying no to him, I was hoping that would be a message, a message. But Obviously, he won't listen to, but he's putting himself in a real bind. Uh, Republicans want security at the border. Republicans that I know of, traditional Republicans, and still a significant part of the party, want issues resolved for Ukraine, for Israel, for Taiwan. What's going on now is really unconscionable. And and I I won't leave the party because I want to change it, but I will tell you this. I go to bed angry every night, and I should I should be at this st- stage of my life at peace. Yeah. But uh, people don't realize 
our countries probably from a dangerous standpoint where the world was in the 1930s. And I'm just so shocked that we, we don't appeal to a higher interest. I, I, I think a lot of people are shocked with you. Um, Al Cardenas, who is a, a good and decent man uh, and who, even if he's disagreeing with you, always does so as a gentleman. We miss more of you in the party, my friend. Thank you and so much. And I wish you came to Miami for your book tour. Oh, I'm I coming. Trust yeah. and believe. Ron DeSantis' bookmans will not keep me away from the good, 305. Good. I will be down there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Jason Johnson and Al Cardenas, thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout. That was the great Tracy Chapman at the Grammys last night. The polar opposite of Donald Trump, who's looking for the slowest car possible to drag out his legal battles until after the election. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. It has been nearly four weeks since the D.C. Court of Appeals heard arguments over Donald Trump's claim to absolute presidential immunity in his federal election interference case. There is still no word from the court, nor any indication of when that decision could come. It is unclear what that means for how they will rule, though many legal experts say Trump should expect the three-judge panel to rule against him. But regardless of their ruling, Trump is already getting what he wants. Delay, delay, delay. As a result of the appeal, Judge Tanya Chutkin officially pulled the March 4th trial start date from the court's calendar with no new date listed. And even if a ruling against Trump was released today, he could still request the full D.C. Court of Appeals take up the case and then possibly take it to the Supreme Court, meaning even more delays. The result is that we wouldn't likely see any trial start until the summer at best and at worst, possibly not until after the election. Joining me now is Maya Wiley, civil rights attorney and president of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. And Maya, you know, let me play some let me play some sound of somebody we both know who is normally super calm and measured. Here's Neil Katyal saying he's reached the freak out mode. Take a listen. 
I am officially now at the freakout stage. I think we're now at the point, to use a different legal phrase, justice delayed is justice denied. I mean, I can't imagine a more compelling need for speed than the idea that American citizens deserve to know before the election whether a candidate for office is a felon and an insurrectionist. And it's even more galling to me because this is an easy case. There is no responsible constitutional scholar who thinks Donald Trump is right, that there's an absolute immunity. How close are you to freak out stage, Maya? I was there a month ago. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look, I was there with the fact that we were having a straight up legal conversation about that three judge panel and Trump's lawyers arguing that, yeah, basically he could be a king. He could be a dictator. He could be a totalitarian. He could order the SEAL Team 6 to kill his political opponents. Don't they want people to know whether in this this three-judge panel's opinion, Joe Biden, as president, could order SEAL Team 6 to kill his political opponents? Well, exactly. I mean, the point about all of this, and and you are so right about Neil being calm, he is also a consummate constitutionalist when it comes to arguing yes. in the Supreme Court. And the point, the legal point that all lawyers are making right now and that three-judge panel made in the argument was like, it was very clear that this is not even a hard or close case. You do not have to write a long opinion. No. You do not have to spend a lot of time on this to say, look, we can lay this out pretty clearly. It's a bright constitutional line, but it's also a clear line for our democracy. Yes. And that goes to your point, I think, that is so important, is this is not a partisan issue. At all. This is anybody of any party, any ilk, any ideology that would stand up and with a straight face demand to be able to do whatever they want any crime. sitting in the White House. And, and again, those of you who are love Trump, Ask yourself whether you want Joe Biden to exercise the power you want Donald Trump to. Because right now the president is named Joe Biden. And so if Donald Trump's argument is true, that means Joe Biden has the right to take SEAL Team 6 and sick them on any of his political enemies and kill them. This is not hard. Let me ask you, you said it's not partisan. The the three judges on this circuit, two of them are appointed by President Biden. One is appointed by Herbert Walker Bush. Am I... A a mad person to wonder if their concern is that if they rule against Trump, they will be seen as having ruled in a partisan way. Could it could they be dragging this out? I don't know. It won't go away. Could that could they be dragging it out because they're trying to craft some ruling that seems nonpartisan? Because, as you said, this isn't a partisan issue. I I look, I don't think any of us can sit and get in the minds of anybody sitting on that bench. And I would not deign to do so. I will say this. Um, I hope what is happening is they're just spending a lot of time because they want to write a very strong decision because they know that Donald Trump is going to appeal it, knowing that this is ideologically a very conservative court. I I would argue that this is a this should be an easy case for for any court of any ideology, because the only ideology any of us should have is being pro-democracy. Yeah. And let me put up the calendar because this is the challenge. This is delaying everything. The March 4 trial date is now gone. You've got 
you know, Super Tuesday comes on the 5th. There should have been the start of the federal election interference trial. That is now delayed. So we're going to go through Super Tuesday not knowing whether this person might be convicted and be a felon. You've got the hush money trial, which now probably is going to be the first trial. At least the state of New York doesn't have any any questions about whether that starts. Then you've got the, the question of whether this man stole classified documents. That seems important. That's supposed to start May 20th. Then the Republican National Convention happens in July. Then you've got the Georgia election interference trial in August, and then you have election day. Like this calendar is not hospitable to delay. It is not. And in this case, this particular case where we have uh, the clear efforts of the special prosecutor to make it tight. I mean, all those unindicted co-conspirators are not in this case, not right. because there wasn't evidence, but because there was a clear decision to say, let's keep it clean, let's keep it narrow, let's keep it focused, and let's get it done. Right. And it should be done. It should be done, because I, I feel like at a certain point, like our courts are supposed to expeditiously dispense justice. At this point, I feel all they're doing is keeping us in unneeded suspense for no reason that I can discern. And I think these are the things that make people not trust the judicial system. I, I just went and blathered on. I don't even have a I'm literally just at the freakout stage with you. Here we are at the freakout stage. Welcome to the freakout stage, everyone. Maya Wiley, you're brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. And coming up. I don't want to embarrass this young lady, but she has more Grammys than everyone and never won album of the year. So even by your own metrics, that doesn't work. Think about that. The most Grammys, never won album of the year. That doesn't work. Boop. You know. Jay-Z. Speaking some truth at the Grammys. Hmm. And coming up, I've got some truth to tell you about the Biden economy. Next on The Readout. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On Friday, we got a massive jobs report. 353,000 jobs were added last month, about twice what economists had predicted. The unemployment rate is 3.7 percent and has now come in below 4 percent for two straight years, the longest such streak since the 1960s. In addition, wages grew unexpectedly fast in January. Average hourly pay climbed a sharp 0.6 percent from December. That is the fastest monthly gain in nearly two years. That means the U.S. economy isn't just avoiding a recession. It's doing exactly the opposite by adding hundreds of thousands of new jobs and increasing worker pay. Despite that, a new NBC News poll shows that the American public thinks Donald Trump will be better at handling the economy. 
and basically everything else except reproductive rights and protecting democracy. According to the poll, which was taken before this jobs report, Trump has about a 20 percent lead over Biden on who would be better on the economy. Trump's lead over Biden was much smaller back in 2020 when voters were asked the same question. Hmm, how's way? Maybe this is a good time for a quick fact check, since the public seems to have forgotten some key facts about the previous administration. Data shows that Trump didn't build a great economy. He inherited it from President Barack Obama. And the economy that President Biden inherited was the worst in recent history, in large part because of Trump's complete mismanagement of the one big crisis he was called on to handle, the COVID pandemic, which caused the economy to all but collapse in 2020, with unemployment skyrocketing to as high as 14.7 percent. And just the facts from 2021 on, Biden's economy has created more jobs on average than Trump's did before the pandemic, plus wage growth that at 4% is outpacing inflation. It was Biden, not Trump, who oversaw the creation of roughly 800,000 new manufacturing jobs, the strongest rebound after a recession in 72 years. It was Biden, not Trump, who brought the jobless rate for black Americans below 5% for the first time since those numbers have been tracked. Friday's report was so good that Trump's former economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, who once told us that Trump had contained the coronavirus, was compelled to praise the recent Biden jobs report. I know many of my conservative friends are trying to drill holes in this report. But you know what, folks? It is what it is. It's a very strong report. Not every economic stat should be viewed through a political lens. I've been in this business a very long time, and sometimes you just have to throw away the ballot box and just recognize the numbers. They are what they are. This was a very strong report. Joining me now is Ali Velshi, MSNBC chief correspondent and host of Velshi and Stephanie Rule, NBC News senior business analyst and host of the 11th hour, or as I prefer to call them, Velshi and Rule. I bring them together whenever I can to hang out with me. I love it. Thank you for bringing us back. We love having you all together. I'm just going to go ladies first and have you explain why are people so at least a month ago down on the economy when effectively the economy is so good. That is changing, right? Yes. In the last month, we are seeing consumer confidence uh, moving up. We are seeing a shift, but you're not wrong. You continuously see voters throughout history, including now, credit Republicans more than they credit Democrats for a strong economy. It is not factual when you look historically at Democratic presidents, but messaging is what it is. Yeah. It has never been a strong suit for Democrats. We are seeing President Biden take a shift. Yeah. Right? He's talking about it all the time. In the last week, you saw Janet Yellen taking a victory lap. That is not something she normally mm-hmm. does. And even Fed Chair uh, Jay Powell last week when he was giving his announcement uh, last Wednesday, yeah. he said, we have a strong economy. He said it last night on 60 Minutes. And do not forget, when and if we get interest rates cut, which is likely going to happen before the presidential election, that will be a huge win for this economy. He 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 actually had to warn people to say, just chill out for a second. We'll get to the interest rates eventually. Don't bank on it because everybody's so excited that they want to cut it. But you said something really. First of all, I'm glad you showed that job chart that showed the increase, then the drop in uh, during COVID and then the increase, because if you take out the drop during COVID, the, the line's still up. Biden has created many, many yes. more jobs than were lost. And so one of the things that, you know, uh, hip hop artist Plies has said, and you are my hip hop correspondent when 
When Ari's not around. When Ari's not around. So I'm <laughs> going to turn to you, uh, my friend. Um, Ply said y'all need to learn how to brag on the economy. Because yes. there are people, you just named Powell and people who yeah. regular folks don't even know who they are and don't pay attention yeah. to them. Business people know who they are. But in the streets, people sit have this yes. mismemory. I am now going to play for you. Normally I wouldn't do this. Usually I wouldn't do this, but I'm going to play Sexy Red. All right. Sexy okay. Red is a hip-hop artist who's very popular. And here is what she said back in last October. Take a listen. Do you think more people are going to support Trump now in the I hood like or Trump. no? Yeah, they support him in the hood. Because at first, I don't think uh, people were with him like they thought he was racist, saying little and, you know, against women. But once he started getting black people out of jail and giving people their free money, oh, baby, we love Trump. We need him back in office. Yeah, that, a little bit of free money goes a long way. We huh? need him back. Because, yeah. baby, them <laughs> checks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, them stimulus checks, Trump, we miss you. Okay, first of all, y'all needed to see <laughs> Stephanie Rose. We're going face. to Theo Vaughn and Sexy Red. That's where we're going, sis. That's where we're going. And all the right, reason I'm telling it. you that is because I hear this a lot, yep. Allie. Yep. People have a mismemory. They forget that Donald Trump opposed the STEMI. For how Fought long? it. Fought it. How long? It was forever. Congress was in like twisting itself into pretzels to not give people 600 bucks. Yes. It was wild. But when he finally broke down, he was politically savvy. Smart enough. Put it up. To do Sign all the the put, put it the up. The only thing he didn't put was his face. Was his face. On. This yeah. is the letter. Put this up. This is the the stimulus check letter. Donald Trump. I don't know if we have actually a picture of the letter. Do we have a picture of it? Donald Trump yeah. sent this letter to folks when oh, they got it. Yeah. So if you are unbanked or underbanked, yeah. you got a physical check in the mail with yeah. a letter saying you're welcome, yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. He has convinced people. Correct. Nancy Pelosi gave people that yeah. stimulus yeah. check, not Donald Trump. Yeah. Republicans, four of them voted sort of present and let it pass in the Senate. They voted on a voice vote in the House because the Republicans didn't want their fingerprints on it. It was a Democrat. It was the Democrats we, who gave we, the people the you and I talked about this two hours ago, right? Yes. Democrats, they, they, they've just got messaging issues. We've, we've talked about this forever. Stephanie and I used to argue with people all the time on the show about how the economy is actually going. Then you have the situation where you've got black unemployment lower than it's ever been. Yes. But Joe Biden ended up with somebody in his car the other day who said he had no idea that black unemployment was down. Uh, wages are outpacing inflation. It's been 10 months. Yes, everyone's getting months. a raise. And everybody's telling, still telling you about how inflation's higher than... than well, let, can I please an example? Okay, go ahead. The Biden administration has forgiven so much in student debt. Yes. Have they messaged it? No, no they have not. No. There are people who've gotten their student debt forgiven. <laughs> and they're like, and thank you, Trump. I'm going to give you a second example. Oil production. We are producing more oil than, than we ever have in our, the history ever, of ever. Ever, ever. And the Biden administration isn't messaging it yet. And because I know they it's know difficult because they have a big well, tent party. Because get mad at them well, right. yeah. Correct. Yes, correct. I They don't want to hear that, that we're producing oil But in the same oil. way that sometimes it's like Democrats do not want to sing happy birthday until <laughs> every kid in America has a cupcake. That's right. That's and right. the question to them is, do you want to win this election or, or not? not? So and here, the oil, let me, the oil issue is important because yes. by producing all this oil right now, as we get closer to the election, there are a whole bunch of people, including Vladimir Putin and, and, and Mohammed bin Salman, who would do much better off with Trump being reelected. Sure. So they're going to start hiking the price of oil, cutting back production in in August, September to make it feel like, oh, gas prices out of control. Yeah. America now controls that lever. We produce more oil than, than anybody. anybody. Let me play you guys, because this is the other thing that on a messaging front, I don't understand why Biden doesn't. You have to declare a villain sometimes. Let's play some CEOs and let's see how they talk on CNBC when they're on. If you look at our performance last year, you saw a very, very strong performance on price mix, mostly driven by price. And that was really accentuated in the fourth quarter. The fact remains, even though we've taken some pricing to date, 
know, our chicken burrito is still, you know, less than $8 for most parts of the country. So we have more room to take price uh, as we need to. Obviously, we want to take our time on doing that. They just admit it. The CEO of Kroger, uh, Rodney McMullen, said in an earnings call in 2021, our business operates best when inflation is about three to four percent. A little bit of inflation is always good in our business. Fortune has a thing called greedflation created more than half of last year's inflation surge. More than half of inflation was just price gouging. Why don't the Biden folks talk about that? Because it's honestly, because it's hard to pinpoint exactly where price gouging is. I'm not saying that it's not happening, but A, it's not illegal in most cases. And it's a tricky thing, right? Because, you know, it depends on what your, you know, initial fixed costs are. Like it's, it's a tough one to make your CEO universe the villain. It's great. Part of the, I mean, I would even say the problem is more basic than that, because I remember before the last midterm elections talking to all these people about how not only that there's so much inflation, but that Biden created it. So I'd put up (laughs) charts about everywhere in the world. I mean, let's take out Turkey and Venezuela that have like 70, 80 percent inflation, whatever it is. Everywhere in Europe had higher inflation than America. How would Biden create that? We've had the best recovery than any developed country coming out of COVID. But but inflation was a real thing. And if you're the president when it happens and you're the president when gas prices go up, all that you, you get the blame for yeah. this administration's actually handled this really, really well with these interest rates. And a year ago, we were talking about a recession. Should, the business community should give the Biden administration but way more credit. Really but you said it on your show. You know they why? Like two things. They like tax cuts and Correct. they like deregulation. And they, and they don't like DEI. They're mad because they have to have diversity. We can have a whole nother out. Delshi and rule. Stephanie rule. Ali Belshi. I love it. Maybe the bosses will see this and say, hey, yeah, they should have Just give us cocktails and let us do our own version of the view. (laughs) We could do it. We love it. Thank you. Hey, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you you very much. If you didn't see Joy on the view today, she looked fantastic. She's going to say it. All right. Now we have to go to commercial break. U.S. forces strike Iran-backed militias in Iraq. That's coming up next. Syria and Yemen as Secretary Blinken travels to the Middle East in efforts aimed at securing a ceasefire in Gaza. We'll be right back. Waves of American strikes against Iranian-backed militants were carried out all weekend in response to the killing of three U.S. service members. Biden administration officials say there will be more airstrikes in retaliation starting Friday and through the weekend. We've watched a deadly back and forth between U.S. forces and Iranian-backed militants in at least three countries, Iraq, Syria, and Yemen. And just overnight, a drone attack on a base housing U.S. troops in eastern Syria, killed six Allied fighters. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Saudi Arabia for his fifth trip to the region since the October 7 Hamas attack. He's pushing for a deal that would see the release of hostages and a pause in the fighting, which so far has killed more than 27,000 Palestinians, according to the Ministry of Health in Gaza. Joining me now is Akbar Shahid Ahmed, senior diplomatic correspondent for the HuffPost. Always great to see you, Akbar. Let's talk about how Blinken's mission is impacted by these airstrikes. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Joy. Um, Secretary Blinken is out here <clears throat> trying to say to Arab officials, the U.S. has a plan. We're getting back on track. We're going back towards stability. But I think the series of strikes that you talked about underscore why his mission is so difficult, right? We've seen now three U.S. service members killed last week. We saw two Navy SEALs killed in Yemen. And I think 
Fourth Secretary Blinken, as he's talking to Arab and Israeli counterparts, it doesn't look like there's a US plan, right? There's been a month now of strikes, and if anything, they've only escalated. And I think also for the Biden administration at home, right, it's very important to remember the military is majority people of color. They are in trouble there. Young people are angry, and people are sort of saying, President Trump did not lead us into a war, yeah. uh, which is debatable, but <laughs> right now you're you're on the brink of a major conflagration. Yeah, and, and, and into that conflagration comes somebody who people have gotten to know, uh, Iktmar Ben-Gavir, who is one of the most caustic figures in this right-wing Israeli government, His na- the National Security Administrator in Israel. He said Trump would be better off for Israel than President Biden. He said instead of giving us his full backing, Biden is busy giving humanitarian aid and fuel to Gaza, which goes to Hamas. If Trump wins, if Trump was in power, U.S. conduct would be completely different. What do you make of that? Apparently, that's a popular sentiment on the Israeli right. But what do you make of him saying we prefer Trump? I think there's a lot of folks right now in the Middle East who, for their own selfish reasons, are feeling they might prefer President Trump. And I think it's a short-sighted view, right? If you're thinking about peace, you're thinking about stability. President Trump is someone who brought Iran closer to a nuclear weapon than it's ever been, right? Saw a rise in Iranian-backed militias. This was not someone who made the majority of Americans or Israelis or people in the region safer. And he made peace harder to achieve. That said, for extreme factions, and frankly, George, for people who aren't functioning from like a fact-based reality or analysis, President Trump is very appealing. You don't have to talk about history. You don't have to talk about human rights. You don't have to talk about international law. You say, let's cut a deal in whatever form that takes. I don't think that's a very safe world for, you know, the people these ministers make decisions for. And let's talk about for a moment uh, the implications of President Biden's strategy. Obviously, there is an economic reason for, uh, you know, attacking the Houthis. There is a concern that this could skyrocket prices if they are blockading the Red Sea and shipping that has to go through there. But in the minds of when you're talking with your sources inside the administration, what in their mind is the utility of these attacks inside of Syria and Iraq? Because for a lot of Americans, that just feels destabilizing in a trip backwards to the early 2000s that they don't want to take. It's a great point, um, Joy. President Biden ran on ending forever wars, right? So I think people in his administration are saying, we don't want to be seen as getting into a forever war, but it's the sort of situation where the U.S. right now only has a hammer and so can only see nails. They are only thinking in terms of blunt instruments. And and that's a product, yes, of President Trump's ripping up the Iran nuclear deal, but it is a product of President Biden not having those channels with the Iranians, not investing in diplomacy for the last three years. Yeah. which makes it all the harder for the U.S. to have any dialogue here. And, and talk about the implications of the ICJ court case. I mean, it was historic. South Africa took Israel to the ICJ. There have still been a lot of civilian deaths, a lot of really outrageous individual incidents, a grandmother killed, etc. How does that impact the ICJ's deliberations? It's hugely important, Joy, because what people don't miss about that ruling is there was a deadline set. We are coming closer and closer to when Israel has to submit a report to the court, which the court will give to South Africa. And the evidence since that ruling came out has not shown that Israel and the U.S. are backing what the court asked for, right? We have not seen an increase in humanitarian aid. We have seen continued besieging of Gaza. We've seen continued civilian casualties. I think once that comes out and that report is released later this month, Mm -hmm. we'll see a lot more countries have even more skepticism 
towards the Biden administration saying, you promised to change. We took you to court and ordered a change. And it still hasn't happened. Uh, it is so valuable to have you on. Uh, Akbar Shahid Ahmed, a really fantastic reporter. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us. We really appreciate you. And we'll be right back. And now some personal news, as the saying goes. My new book officially comes out tomorrow. That's right. Medgar and Murley, the love story that awakened America, will soon be in your hot little hands. A biography and celebration of civil rights pioneer Medgar Evers, as well as Murley Evers' extraordinary activism after her husband's assassination. My book tour officially launched today, so I had quite the fabulous busy morning making appearances on Morning Joe, The Tamarnall Show, Deadline White House, along with The View, where I got to chat with the great Whoopi Goldberg, who once played Murley Evers in the film Ghosts of Mississippi. Tell us why we need to pay attention to them as a family and why now's the time for this book. Well, the reason I, I wrote the book because I met Merle Evers Williams in person for the first time in 2018. And the thing she talked about off camera was her love and how much she was still in love with Medgar Evers. And I had just never heard the intensity of that love moved me. Medgar was one of those three and he rode with him into the Delta. He did all of the things all great civil rights leaders did, but he did it in Mississippi, which is the most dangerous place in America to be black at that time. So I think he is a great hero and he couldn't have done it without her love holding him down. Stay tuned. I'll be back to talk about the book later tonight with the great Lawrence O'Donnell. Special shout out to all the shows who had me on today. Thank you. And for all the readers who love to read, thank you for your support. I'm really proud of this one and I hope you love it. That is tonight's readout. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com.